But I was suffering to such an extent and so exhausted from trying to resist myself that finally my facade began to crack. And I reached a point where I was pretty much like, I can't do it any longer. I cannot deny myself. I cannot deny the cry of my own soul to be seen authentically because it was getting louder and louder. Hello, hello, and welcome back to Seek the Joy podcast. Happy Seek the Joy Tuesday. I'm your host, Sydney Weiss, and today is a pretty cool day in the world of Seek the Joy podcast because today marks our 200th episode. 200 episodes. Like, I... I cannot even believe it. I can't believe there are 200 episodes celebrating connection and community, diving into moments of inspiration and empowerment, exploring our joy, there's storytelling, there's solo episodes. It's unbelievable that there are 200 episodes. So whether you are brand new to Seek the Joy podcast, and if you are, welcome. I'm so happy you're here. Or if you've been here for a long time and tuning in, I just want to say Thank you. Thank you for being here. Thank you for pressing play on Seek the Joy podcast. I cannot believe we are at 200 episodes. And I'm pretty honored, honestly, that today's episode, our 200th episode, which is our 123rd interview, which is so cool too, is with Melissa Bernstein, the co-founder of the toy company, Melissa and Doug, and the author of the new book, Lifelines, an inspirational journey from profound darkness to radiant light. Melissa has really had a remarkable journey with Melissa and Doug. They've created over 5,000 children's products and sold billions of dollars of toys since its inception. And really though, throughout her career, which has just been remarkable, Melissa has kept secret her lifelong battle with severe depression and anxiety. And she really reveals her struggles in Lifelines. It's her first book and she really wrote it to help others who are also suffering. The launch of Lifelines also brings to life this new community, lifelines.com. It's an online ecosystem that Melissa and Doug are bringing together to support others seeking support, guidance, and community on their own mental health journey. So to say that it was an honor and so exciting to sit down with Melissa is totally an understatement. We talk about her experience with existential anxiety and depression, her journey inward from profound darkness to radiant light, and really why our sensitivity is our strength and our superpower. I love this part of the conversation where we talk about the role of self-acceptance and finding fulfillment and choosing to define who we are on our own terms and becoming our own anchor. Melissa also talks about how our experiences can offer connection and support and why sharing our story really reminds us that we're not alone. We also talk about Melissa's mantra, the biggest lesson she's learned from sharing her journey and her new book. Lifelines, this brand new community that she's been building, her biggest dream, and so much more. May is Mental Health Awareness Month, and so I'm really excited that we are kicking off this month with this really beautiful and powerful conversation with Melissa. And I'm also excited to share with you that today's episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. 
We talk pretty openly on Seek the Joy podcast about our own mental health and mindfulness and wellness journeys. And I have just always found that it's so important to have reliable resources that we can turn to. And that's where BetterHelp comes in. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. And it's easy and free to change counselors if you don't think the person you're matched with is a good fit. The service is available for people worldwide too. BetterHelp offers a broad range of expertise in their counselor network. You'll get timely and thoughtful responses. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions too, which while we're still in a pandemic, I think is huge. I really want you to be able to live a happier, more joyful and ease-filled life. And I'm excited to share that as a listener of Seek the Joy podcast, you will get 10% off your first month by going to betterhelp.com slash seek the joy. Join over 1 million people taking charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash seek the joy. I'll also include the link in our show notes. Today's episode with Melissa is powerful and it's a beautiful reminder that we are so much more alike than we are different. And there is so much more that connects us than divides us. So I would love to hear what you think about today's conversation. Make sure to join the conversation on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. We are at Seek the Joy Podcast everywhere. Don't forget, you can tune in to today's conversation, to this episode, and watch me and Melissa live in conversation on our YouTube channel. Uh, click the link in our show notes to head over and check us out on YouTube. While you're there, hit subscribe. And no matter where you're listening to Seek the Joy Podcast, right now, make sure you hit follow or subscribe and leave us a five-star rating and review. Ratings and reviews really, really help the show get seen by new people. Tell them what Seek the Joy podcast is all about. So take a screenshot of that review, send it to sydney at seekthejoypodcast.com. I will send you something to say thank you. And it's just always such a wonderful way for us to connect outside of the show. All right, that's it. I am so excited, honored, and grateful to bring you today's conversation. So without further ado, let's dive in to today's episode with Melissa Bernstein. Melissa, thank you for coming on Seek the Joy podcast. I am really excited to sit down with you today and have this conversation. I actually have your book next to me and I want to hold it up so anybody on YouTube can see. It's called Lifelines and it's really your journey, your inspirational journey moving moving from this space of darkness into light. And so I, I want to start off by asking you this question. You know, it really explores your journey with existential depression and anxiety. When did you start to just connect the dots for yourself that this was even something you were experiencing? Because I don't think we often talk about existential depression and and anxiety. So I would love to start there if we can. Of course. And thank you so much for having me. Uh, Yeah. I mean, existential depression isn't even listed in the diagnostic and statistical manual of mental disorders. So it's It's not, not. that's why when I saw it, it was like, oh my God, what even is this? (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. So I had truly never heard the word, Mm. never thought about it until I was actually in my late 40s. And just by accident, 
read a book, Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl, where he, at the end of the book, not even in the body, in the epilogue, he talks about how after he got out of the concentration camp, he engaged in logotherapy, a form of existential analysis. And that was the first time I was like, huh, I wonder what that is, and looked it up and everything changed because it described exactly what I had been afflicted with my entire life. Mm. That's so interesting. It was like that light bulb moment where everything clicked for you. And I think it's so interesting too, because creativity is often birthed from pain. It's often birthed from difficult moments in our lives. And I'm curious, do you feel like what you've been experiencing with your mental health helped to fuel that level of creativity? Because you are the co-founder with your husband of Melissa and Doug, the fantastic toy company. And so you have been a creative person your whole life, it sounds like. Did did all these experiences, I guess, help to fuel that level of creativity for you? It's a, that's a really involved and deep question. <laughs> so, I had a feeling. <laughs> yes, it really is, if I'm to be totally honest. So I always believed there was a direct connection between despair and creativity. Mm. Because on the days that I felt the most despairing, I had the need to channel it into creativity and I ultimately sort of produced the most. So I always was fearful, even as I learned to understand my affliction and come up with my own practice to really help myself stay, I say, equanimously in the middle, uh, I was terrified of losing the despair because I believed that I might also lose my creativity. But I found something really incredible, which is actually my my despair in one sense hampered my creativity because it, I was so low and so blocked that my my trunk of my creative flow was very dense. And as I began to journey inward and discover myself and sort of unshroud myself of all these layers that weighed me down and accept myself in my full spectrum of emotion from the highest of highs to the lowest of lows, I actually found that I was much more creative. Mm -hmm. So I learned something really fascinating, which is I actually think my creativity and my existential despair was born out of something very different, which was my intellectual hypersensitivity, which made me curious and ask the questions why. So the the hypersensitivity made me ponder life's meaning because it made me ask, why am I here? And it makes me creative in that I'm always pondering why are things the way they are and how can they be different? So it's really not the despair that birthed my creativity. My emotional hypersensitivity, another hypersensitivity births despair and joy, the full spectrum in in a lot of depth, but that isn't all uh, where the creativity comes from. It's also Mm -hmm. probably more from that intellectual hypersensitivity. There's something that you said that really struck me that you were terrified of losing the despair. And I'm wondering, you know, we often define ourselves based upon what we've known, based upon what's the most comfortable for us. And our identity is often tied to, at least I have found in my life, to different emotional states that I've experienced. And there's this fear, like this almost this terror of if I let it go, if I allow myself to embark on this journey inward, who am I? What is this going to feel like? 
And the, this portion of identity is so interesting. I'm wondering like if we could talk a little bit more about that, because I think it's so relatable. We all go through this sort of metamorphosis with ourselves. You know, we're all very invested in our pain and nobody wants to admit it, but it gives us something to hang on to. And it gives us an excuse for not jumping into the abyss. Yeah. You know, because jumping into the abyss and taking responsibility for our lives is absolutely terrifying because there's a lot of fear there, right? There's unknown and you yeah. might fail and then you have no one to blame but yourself. So I find a lot of people, they claim to want to change. They claim to want to take the journey, but in the end, they're too terrified and they they run backward in the direction from which they came. Mm-hmm. So I think for me, You know, my fear was that this creativity was my salvation. Mm -hmm. And I knew that without it, I wouldn't be here. So I think, and in a way, I guess you'd say it was my role. It was my anchor. It was my beacon. And I thought if the, the well from which I'm drawing is dry, then how will I survive? Mm -hmm. So I just had an erroneous perception about what the well was filled with. And I I found it so fascinating. And I actually felt like I came upon something that no one had come upon because Mm -hmm. every book I've read about creatives, like brilliant creatives, they were always, I was always told they suffered from melancholia Mm -hmm. and it was their melancholia that like birthed all their creativity. And I believed that was the connection. And and I now see, at least for myself, um, it really, it really isn't. Mm-hmm. At what point did you decide to make this journey inward with yourself and to really, I think, develop this level of self-awareness? Were you always on this inward journey or did you have a moment where you're like, okay, you know what? I want to actually explore more of what I've experienced my whole life or the ways in which I've defined myself. It's a great question. Um, I was on the opposite of an inward journey. Mm -hmm. I was in what I call the feudal race, racing outside myself for the answer for anything to take me away from digging inward and discovering what I was feeling. So no, I, my entire life, I denied, repressed and disassociated from everything I was feeling because those feelings were so overwhelming and so intense that they threatened to destroy me. Mm -hmm. So I didn't want to ever go there. And I think I did everything I could to not go there until, and I think what happens and the reason I think they call it a midlife crisis (laughs) is because, you know, racing away from everything you feel and everything you are is utterly exhausting. I mean, you're denying who you are and there's nothing more exhausting because all we want to truly do is be seen as we are. So to deny it, takes tremendous energy and ultimately it leads to tremendous suffering, Mm -hmm. you know, because when you're in pain, that's denied, when you resist the, the pain and the feelings, pain plus resistance equal suffering. And I, and so many others, but I was suffering to such an extent and so exhausted from trying to resist myself that finally my facade began to crack. And I reached a point where I was pretty much like, I can't do it any longer. I cannot deny myself. I cannot deny the cry of my own soul to be seen authentically because it was getting louder and louder. You know, and I knew somewhere in me that I would not ever rest in peace until I made that journey. I was just too terrified to do it. Hmm. I'm really struck by what you just said that 
you reached a point where you could no longer deny the cry of your soul to authentically show up as who you are. And it's interesting, you know, I think when we talk about this piece about authentically sharing ourselves or our, our own personal journey, I think there's a lot of, there's a misperception that that means all of a sudden things improve, that there aren't going to be highs and lows within your day or within your journey, that you're not going to have moments where you feel frustrated. And then, you know, the next day you could have a greater level of self-acceptance. I think this element of accepting the journey is key in allowing yourself to authentically step forward as who you are, because you have to accept the whole, all of it. You have to put your arms around the whole journey, the highs and the lows, exactly how you feel. This level of acceptance, I think is so is so key with all of it. Yeah. I mean, the most difficult letter, and I think the most important one of the acronym space, which is our journey Mm -hmm. in our ecosystem is the journey to inner space. And the A in space stands for allow. Mm. And allow is the most challenging letter for every single person, because it means that true acceptance and truly living life is about allowing everything, Mm -hmm. allowing every single thing you're feeling and not denying and resisting any of it. And I had this epiphany. I think one of my biggest revelations is I had gone through the journey, right? I had accepted myself in totality and I was doing pretty well. I felt really good. I felt like a weight had been lifted off my shoulders. I was like not denying myself. And one day, I opened my eyes in the you know beginning of the morning and I felt a familiar feeling. It was a heaviness and it was a lowness. And I immediately went into, oh my gosh, what's going on here? Like this can't be like you went through the journey, Melissa, you did the work, the weight is off. Like what is going on? It's back. It's never going to leave. This doesn't make any sense. And into that whole mind story of it's so unfair. And I immediately, I I was in a real state and at my next therapy appointment, uh, I really talked it over with my therapist and she said, Melissa, I'm really confused. Did you think because you went through the journey that life was going to be utter bliss? And I was like, yeah, I did. I did the work. Like I put in my, my years of effort, like, yes, that's what I wanted. And she was like, well, then you need to go back through the journey Mm -hmm. because You know, if you are accepting everything you're feeling, it means half of the emotional spectrum is in the shadow side. You know, half of it is lows. And you're going to have to accept that many days you're going to wake up with lows and allowing it and accepting it is all about what life really is. And that's probably become now my biggest teaching to others. Mm -hmm. And the biggest lesson that I learned is nobody said it's supposed to be perfect. And I mean, society did, but unfortunately it's a fallacy. Like, and it's not supposed to be blissful every day. And life is about riding the waves of low and high and the ebbs and the flows and being okay with all of it and accepting and allowing all of it. Hmm. That's so interesting because it takes me back to this sense of fulfillment. I think that we're, we're all often searching for. We want to feel fulfilled. We want to experience joy. But the truth is, is you can't have that sense of fulfillment and joy if you also don't experience frustration and pain and despair and sadness. We cannot have one without the other. You know, the book talks about lifelines. And I would love to talk about what are lifelines? Because I think it's such a beautiful word and the way in which you use it and describe it in the book. You also talk about the lifelines that saved you. So first of all, what are lifelines? 
Sure. So once I truly realized that life is not at the top of the emotional spectrum, it's not bliss every day. Mm -hmm. And I knew that I would have a undulating ocean of emotions my entire life, some of them very low. I realized that to stay safe and sane, I was going to need a practice, Mm -hmm. a practice to help me stay afloat throughout life's ups and downs, because it wasn't always going to be easy. And that really became my word lifelines. And, you know, from my earliest memory, my words were my lifelines. And I I wrote these verses in my head from the time I was two. Mm -hmm. And they were really, really became my beacons to keep me afloat in some very dark times and sort of the answers to my questions and the way that I could express feelings and fears and that, that no one else would listen to. So they were my very first lifelines. And I would say, you know, creativity became um, certainly my salvation and a lifeline. Mm -hmm. But as I thought about it, I needed more than just that. And really, as I crafted my own backpack of lifelines, um, it fell into three categories. It fell into self-care, the things I needed to do to make sure that I was healthy and I kept my body, you know, sound, Mm -hmm. the tools and skills and those are sort of the the the, the more rote uh, tools I use to keep myself afloat. I, I'll explain those. And then the third is the passions and the play that I engage in to move out of my head, which is a prison and mm-hmm. tells me a lot of lies into my heart where I'm living in the moment and really finding joy. Hmm. Moving from your head and into your heart. It's, it's this journey of moving out of questioning yourself, moving out of denying yourself and allowing yourself to experience your life and experience your joy. Hmm. Yep. I don't think we've talked a lot about that yet on this podcast in three and a half years about moving into the body and into the heart and what that really looks like and what that means. So my number one mantra that I say every day is step on out of the head, moving into the heart free to channel all dread into jubilant art. And that has been my life practice because I realized finally that my head is a prison and my head just wants to imprison me mostly in lies and mistruths and very negative statements about myself that, you know, aren't true. They're very mean and they are erroneous So my goal was really to stay out of that head as much as I humanly can. And not that Mm -hmm. there weren't times that my head protects me and, you know, warns me when something, something might terrible might happen, but for the most part, it's never where I want to be. So the more I can remain mindful and present in my heart, the happier I am. And when I'm in my heart, actually the drumbeat of mortality, which is the existential despair I I face Mm -hmm. disappears So when I'm creating, when I'm in nature, when I'm listening to music, when I'm with people I love, like I'm not thinking about my mortality. And that's really the only way to truly live. Hmm. Yeah, because you're otherwise you're stuck somewhere in the future or you're stuck somewhere in the past or you're stuck in the moment and you're questioning, why am I not thinking about the future and why am I not thinking about the past? You know, it's interesting, the book in your journey, I think you really offer a space for connection and support to others who are experiencing their own mental health journey. And I mentioned this at the very beginning, it's about moving from the space of your own darkness and and into the light. I'm curious what 
has the impact been on you so far in sharing your story and, and connecting with other people um, in this way? Because I, I think it's really profound. Oh, it's it's been absolutely transformative. Mm. I would say, you know, when you're someone who has never felt they belonged and felt you were plopped here from another planet and like didn't belong in this world, in yourself, like truly and utterly alone, it is an absolutely incredible feeling in the middle of your life to realize you're not alone at all. Like you can't even believe it. It, It's like, could it be true? Am I really not the only one here from this strange planet? And I have felt such a profound sense of communion with so many others who are afflicted. And the irony is they're not even necessarily afflicted with existential depression, which is somewhat rare, Mm -hmm. but it really doesn't matter because when you're in pain, and when you're denying yourself and who you are, it's all the same. I mean, yeah. it's there, it really doesn't matter whether the depression is biological or situational or hormonal. Like, it's all pretty much despair. Mm-hmm. So I'm finding such joy in being able to connect with others and just show them they're not alone. Because when I show them they're not alone, they're showing me I'm not alone. And we can just, like, hold hands and and join in our similarness, our sameness. Mm-hmm. It's really beautiful. It is really, really beautiful. You know, I have found in doing this podcast and having these conversations, it's such a beautiful reminder of exactly what you just said, that I am not alone in what I'm experiencing. There aren't others out there that are alone in what they're experiencing. And so if we can come together in this sense of community and actually build community from our experiences the transformation that takes place both for ourselves and others is really something special. I've said this so many times. I have healed myself through doing this podcast, through having these conversations. But sometimes it does really take a moment of immense courage to put yourself out there in this new way and to put yourself out there and to share your story. So I'm curious, you know, were you sharing this with your family, with your friends? Was it a natural next step to share it, you know, publicly? Or did you just decide, I'm just going to go into the deep end and and share everything? What you just said, it was the <laughs> latter. No, I never even knew it myself. You know, when what you feel is so dark that yeah. it was, I mean, I had a, I call it a demon in my head that told me to end my life, my entire mm-hmm. life. And basically said, life is futile. You'll never make meaning in your life. Just end it. And I had to fight against that demon my whole life to still be here. So the only way I did it was by trying to repress it at every juncture and really adopting a facade that stayed with me my whole life. So uh, I was not aware of any of this. I repressed it to such an extent. But when I finally decided to do it, and many ask me, they're like, how could you do this? You have such a, you know, a persona and you you have a company and all these people that work there. And when I was finally able to do it, I didn't care. I was so much about like, rip it off. I'm going out. I'm jumping into the deep end. There's no going back because I knew what the number one regret of people on their deathbed is. And it's, I never lived a life true to myself. I lived a life society expected of me. And I wasn't about to go there. I, you know, as one who struggled with meaning for so many years, like I had to find my meaning. I would not rest until I did. So I just was like, um, I'm doing it. And I think the courage really, ironically, is not so much in doing it, I now see, 
it's in now dealing with the overwhelming despair that's in the world and figuring out how I, as one person, can help millions and millions of people to not feel so alone. Mm-hmm. Because what has um, come out is just the level, the, the utter chasm of despair that exists in the world. And it is like so deep. Yeah. And so many people are suffering. And I think I never imagined, I, I, I realized I was like, my head was in the sand mm-hmm. because I never imagined how many people are really, um, are really despairing right now. There's a saying I often think about when I'm having these conversations and it's our ability to turn our pain into our purpose. And I feel like you have really done that because not only are you sharing your personal journey, but through Lifelines, you've created a resource center, lifelines.com, where it's this beautiful resource hub, an online community where people can come together um, and you're sharing resources and support. And I would love to talk a little bit about that because you're right. I mean, as one person, there's only so much that you, we or you can take on, but when you create a community in a space, I think the potential is sort of endless in that way. So I'd yeah. love for you to yeah. talk a little bit about the work that you're doing with Lifelines and, and the community you're building. Absolutely. And I'll say a couple other things first that I think are really important. You know, one of the things I've seen that I can do, which I think is so important, is to show people, you know, I have the American dream. Like there is nothing more in terms of success that you could necessarily want. I mean, I have every material good I ever wanted. We have a $500 million growing company. I have six children. I have everything materially and and not in family wise I could ever dream of. Yet I want to show people that that isn't the key to finding fulfillment. Mm. And I think it's so important because we all chase these dreams and believe that when we attain them, everything will be okay or blissful. And the truth is, if you don't accept yourself in totality and fill your own inner chasm with love and purpose and meaning, you will forever go seeking outside yourself and never find fulfillment. So I really want people to see that. And I also want them to see that you can suffer with a mental affliction because I was born with existential despair and I will die with it as well and still lead a meaningful, you know, bountiful life. And it doesn't mean I don't have to have my practice and engage in it every single day. Cause that is my medicine. Cause I, mm-hmm. I'm doing this holistically, but you know, even so I'm still like living a great life. And, and I think that's so important because so many folks believe there's no hope and that, you know, if they are doomed with a mental affliction, they'll never find their way out. And you can, you have to be deliberate about engaging in a daily practice, just like you would take your medicine if you had, you know, diabetes or another condition, right. but they can find that fulfillment. So mm-hmm. I think both of those are really important, but um, Lifelines is designed to show people three things, you know, one, and, and we've talked about them, but one is you're not alone because again, growing up so bereft of feeling anyone cared about me and I would ever find communion with anyone made me not want anyone to go through that themselves. So I think we're building this beautiful community of many who are so isolated that they feel they will die of despair uh, to show them that they can join our community free of charge 
and find that beautiful communion they've been seeking. And we're really having it. Two is we all have the capacity within us to channel our darkness into light. And many feel they're so mired in darkness that they will never get out. They feel they're so stuck. Mm -hmm. But the truth is we all have those seeds of self-expression within us that long to kindle into a bonfire and touch others. It's just a matter of sometimes either we've been entrenched in so much despair and trauma, we lose sight of those sparks, or maybe we never had a childhood and we were forced to become an adult before we learned what our form of play is. So it's really a matter of unearthing those sparks and we show folks, you know, how they can do that for themselves. Mm -hmm. And then the third is it's not until we decide, it's a choice to stop racing outside ourselves for the answer or the quick fix solution and stop, take a breath and truly make that journey inward to self-acceptance that we will ever find real peace or fulfillment. Hmm. I'm so struck by everything that you just said. I don't even really know where to start. I think the first Hmm. thing I really want to acknowledge is what you were talking about, how, you know, just from the outside looking in, you have everything anyone would ever want. Um, Success, uh, creature comforts, everything else in between your family. Because you're right, we are constantly searching outside of ourselves for meaning, for purpose, for fulfillment, um, and for validation, I think. And what you said too about how it's really when you make the decision, when you decide that you're ready to take this journey inward, it's this level of ownership. You need to make that decision for you. And from that, making that choice and from taking that level of ownership comes the awareness that, hey, I validate myself by just being me. It doesn't come from anybody else. And it It also, it, it doesn't. And I think that message is so important because we as a society, as a culture, are constantly looking outside of ourselves for validation. And the moment you flip the switch and the moment you say, hey, success has nothing to do with outside of me. Success is everything to do within me. Who I am as a person, my kindness, my empathy, my compassion, for me at least, that changed my whole life because I stopped getting on this hamster wheel of like trying to define myself by somebody else's measure or standard. And within that is a level of ownership. Yes. And defining yourself by roles too. We have so many folks now reaching out to us who had certain roles, you know, they worked a job or they were a parent and those roles are disappearing and they're nothing without their roles. Mm -hmm. And, you know, even I, I mean, I have the most amazing partnership with Doug. Like we've known each other for 35 years and he's Mm -hmm. my best friend and um, partner in Lifelines and Melissa and Doug. But even he couldn't bring me the love I was, I needed to give myself. Yeah. And I think that's so powerful. And what we have to start doing is allowing kids from the outset, from preschool on, start to define themselves by something much deeper than going outside for the grades and the validation and the likes and all the things we you know, in, in at least our country, mm-hmm. we view as the, the, uh, the, the spoils of yeah, success. Yeah. yeah. It goes back to what we were talking about at the very beginning of this conversation about identity and how we identify ourselves, how we, how we see ourselves in the world and how we use it, I think as an anchor. And when it disappears, we feel lost at sea. And so it's about developing your own anchor. And that's what you talk about. I think in lifelines is you had to figure out how to anchor yourself. And I think now you're sharing that anchor with others. 
Exactly. When you can do that, it brings a powerful sense of the agency yeah. and ownership. And it's, it's beautiful. And when you, and that was what, what it was for me when I knew I had my backpack of lifelines and I could just take it off my back. I could open it up and I could pull out one and actually change my vibrational frequency on my own. Yeah. I mean, I feel myself lift. I truly feel it when I do something to help myself. It's a level of self-care too, that many of us don't give ourselves. Mm -hmm. I never did. Uh, It's incredibly confidence building. Mm -hmm. And I think it makes us know that we ultimately don't need anyone or anything to bring us peace. And that's amazing because then you're not seeking anything from others other than beautiful communion. Mm -hmm. The book is also filled with such beautiful poetry. And so I'm curious, were you always a writer? Did you recently step into writing poetry? I mean, because this is another level of vulnerability, I think, to share your writing. So not only to share your journey, but then to share your writing, I think, is is so vulnerable. So were you always a writer like this? I was. Writing verses was my most innate form of self-expression. And I started Mm -hmm. writing them the minute I could form words. So I was probably two years old. But the truth was, because they were so dark, despairing, and simple, I never thought anyone would care about them or want to see them. Mm. So I really just squirreled them away in the dark crevices of my furniture to stay until I truly decided to to write lifelines. So I had over 3000 verses that no one had ever seen um, gathering dust when I said, you know what? These verses are the truest reflection of Melissa and who she is. And if I don't let them see the light and potentially touch others, I will never have true fulfillment. So I, Mm. that was maybe one of the most courageous things because I've always been terrified of being, you know, rejected and then being rejected for being too simple. But I was like, I have to do it. I owe it to them. Mm. I'm so glad you did and that you're sharing it with others because I think not only are they beautiful and touching and extremely deep, but on the other hand, I think just by what you shared, you're sharing this very important message that you once again are defining what you want to share, what's important to you. It doesn't matter how somebody else receives it. It's subjective anyway. Art, poetry, it's all subjective. And I write about that in the book. And one of the biggest joys was in the audio book, um, I actually pick my favorite verses from every volume and I explain the feelings behind them and read them. And it was indescribable. A few po- points in it, I get very emotional because like to read my own verses and yeah. go back to what, what I was thinking when I wrote them and the deep feelings, it was like an indescribable experience. One of the best of my life, I would say. Hmm. So what has been your biggest learning or lesson or what has been your biggest takeaway from writing the book and sharing it? Because I think it goes back to what we were saying about healing for yourself and healing for others. But I'm, I'm curious what you've taken away uh, from, from sharing it. Wow. That's a great question. I don't think I've been asked that. Yeah. Really? We you found one you haven't been asked. I love that. I love that. I love when that happened. You did it. That's awesome. I'm really proud of you. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, really proud of you. I think I would say that we all feel so alone, but the truth is we're all exactly the same. Mm -hmm. And I I can't even believe that my whole life I was, you know, living with this misperception that I was alone. When the truth is the minute I had the courage to share who I was, 
pretty much everyone else came out and said, yep, me too. I'm right there with you. Mm -hmm. And I was like, why the heck didn't you tell me? I've spent like (laughs) 30 years on my island by myself. Thanks a lot. You're telling me other people could have been here with me this whole time? And and I have people reach out and say, I would have sat at your lunch table. And I laugh because like I I, in high school, I ate my lunch in the stall of the bathroom because I didn't even want to go near the lunchroom because I didn't want to be rejected and not be able to sit at that cool table. Yeah. So I was like, you'd be sitting in my stall in the bathroom. You wouldn't even be, I wasn't, I didn't have the courage to even sit in the lunchroom. But when people say that to me, you know, I smile because I would love that. I would have loved to have all these cool folks sitting at my lunch table. Mm. Uh, but I, I didn't think anyone would want to. So mm. I think that is the biggest revelation that when you share who you truly are, it allows everyone else to do the same. And we all realize that we're really one. Mm. This element of permission. It just takes one person to give themselves that permission for that domino effect to happen. You know, you're not alone. My freshman year of high school for the first semester, I ate lunch by myself in the bathroom or right Mm. outside in the hallway. Mm. And it was because I had such a difficult time transitioning from middle school to high school and, um, friends were difficult. It was just challenging. So I understand. And I I have found people too, who have said to me, I would have sat with you. I would have had lunch with you. We often don't find our people though, in the moments where we need them the most when we're younger, but it's this level of healing that comes when we're adults, when we can reparent ourselves or relearn or unlearn and be there for ourselves in that profound way, which I think you have been. And now for others. Yeah. And I think what I'm trying to show a lot of women, because I mentor a lot of women entrepreneurs Mm -hmm. is, and they say to me, I feel like when I'm up speaking in front of people, I have an imposter syndrome. Mm -hmm. And I say, well, that's because you're acting like an imposter. You're pretending you're, you're, you've got it all together when you don't share that vulnerability and you will see how your audience immediately, you're going to see them soften. And instead of kind of looking at you skeptic, skeptically, they're going to like root for you and they're going to cheer for you. And one of my best speeches ever, and I've given so many talks where I finish and like, there's no one saying anything. And there's one person in the back row going, And I realized that it's because I'm trying to be something I'm not. I'm trying to look like a professional when I'm terrified inside. And I think it's giving a mixed message. So my best speech ever was one when I started, I said, I want you to all know I'm absolutely terrified. I'm a creative introvert. I create through my hand. I don't speak. And this is like standing in front of you might be the most terrifying experience of my life. Mm. And I like took a deep breath and I saw people just start to smile and laugh and like go, you go, Melissa. And by the end of this speech, I got a standing ovation from like a thousand women. And it was one of the most powerful things in my life. And it was only because, and I had given that same speech in, in sort, you know, before and never, but it was because I had the, you know, courage to say like, I'm terrified. And it made them, root for me rather than kind of root against me, if that makes sense. It makes so much sense. You know, I think about this all the time. Why does it take so much courage to just be who we are? Why is it so much easier to be somebody else? And I think it has so much to do with the messages that we receive growing up. Um, You know, don't be too loud. Don't be too quiet. Don't speak your mind. Please speak your mind more. I mean, mixed messaging that starts when we're really, really young. 
oh, it is so much harder sometimes to just be who you are. But the minute that you step into being who you are, everything changes, how you feel about yourself and the way that you're received. And it just feels better in your skin. Yeah, it does. And think about, think about advertising, think about social media. Like it gives us these images of perfection that aren't real. Mm -hmm. So from the beginning, unfortunately, we're aspiring to attain something that actually isn't even real. So what happens? Every one of us falls short. Yeah, We feel incapable, incompetent, and kind of worthless because we can't achieve this ideal that nobody can achieve. So Mm -hmm. part of what we're doing in our content at Lifelines is we're trying to bust all the myths. We're trying to say, it's not true. I don't, I don't know who this society is that put all this stuff on us, but all these myths that you can have balance, that you can have utter happiness, that, that success is about material wealth. Mm-hmm. They're all fallacies. And the more we can teach ourselves a different truth from childhood on, you know, the better we will be able to share who we truly are. Mm. Speaking of childhood, now I got to ask you this question. It just popped in my mind. What do you think your younger self would think about what you're doing now and speaking and sharing your journey and, and being such an invaluable resource for others? I mean, this is what my younger self wanted more than anything. You Mm -hmm. know, my younger self was just the few times my younger self showed who she was. She was really rejected and very stigmatized. And people were horrified at the fact that she held so much darkness in her. So my younger self learned to hide it completely Mm -hmm. from the world. And I think all my younger self ever wanted was to be seen exactly as she was and to have someone say, I understand. And I, and I feel that way too. And I think that's what I'm trying to do now. You know, there's nothing I enjoy more than speaking to young girls because so many of them are highly sensitive, just like I was, feel really stigmatized in being, having those, you know, deep soulful feelings in a world that doesn't seem to accept them and is very shiny. Yeah. And I love nothing more than saying to them, you go. The fact that you're so sensitive, you might see it as your your curse now, but it's a blurse. It's your blessing. Mm. And because of that, you will have the ability to feel things that no one else will ever feel. And it's your superpower. So please see yourself as unique and beautiful. And when people look at you oddly say, they're just scared of my power. Mm. Sensitivity is totally a strength and it's totally a superpower. And uh, the more that we step into our innate sensitivity and those of us who are sensitive or, or feel that way, the world is going to change because it'll lend itself to greater empathy and compassion and understanding and being able to um, appropriately, I think, put yourself in somebody else's shoes exactly. and understand their journey and what they're experiencing. Yes, I got to ask you the question though, that I ask everybody that comes on Seek the Joy podcast. And uh, that is, what is your biggest dream? My biggest dream? Mm-hmm. Oh, I think my biggest dream is for all the people like myself who grew up so repressed and hiding who they are and their feelings to one day be on a mountaintop similar to the sound of music Hmm. and all be in whatever attire we want. For me, it would be a long flowing, like white dress that's just billowing and have the most beautiful music playing and just be able to close our eyes and dance to whatever beat we want to dance to. 
I love that. Okay. When that happens, send me an invite. Cause I would love, I will love to join Melissa. Yeah. I have really enjoyed this conversation with you. Thank you so much for coming on seek the joy podcast. Where can everybody find you connect? I'm holding up lifelines again so they can see, get your amazing book and, uh, and learn more. So I love emails and I answer everyone personally. So anyone can write me at Melissa Bernstein at lifelines.com. And our, our ecosystem, which is entirely free, all our content, all our community is free. We, Doug and I are doing it as our passion project, um, is lifelines.com. And our Instagram is at seek lifelines. And we have a private Facebook group that you can find out on, uh, on lifelines.com, which is, is really has some beautiful, um, community. Hmm. everything's going to go in the show notes. We'll make it so easy for everyone to find you connect and, and join the community and learn more. And Melissa, I, I can't thank you enough. You know, you've really used your personal story and your experience to show others that there is light in the darkness and that you can move from a space of despair into a space of hope is really, is really what I'm taking from this conversation. And that ultimately you get to define who you are. So thank you so much again. This was, this was really lovely. I really appreciate it. Thank you, you, Sydney, for having me and asking me a question no one ever asked me. I'm so happy that that happened. I'm so, so happy that that happened. That was awesome.